Hello and welcome. My name is Ken Ortiz. I'm the teaching pastor at Calvary Spokane in Spokane, Washington. And this podcast is really a supplement to a series of messages I do from time to time uh, called What's the World Coming To? Uh, They're designed basically to help us compare what the Bible says we should expect to be events in the end times and what is taking place in the world around us. We're really kind of looking at current events and seeing how they relate to the promises that are given to us in scriptures surrounding the events of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, recently I did a message on on the Battle of Gog and Magog. It's covered by many people, passages in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, In my opinion, I believe that these are events that will uh, take place um, right prior or really initiate the beginning of the uh, tribulation period. I've called it in, in past times the death of Islam because it is a, a battle that really invalidates the claim of Islam of being the superior religion that should govern over the entire world. And uh, the really the attempt of these Islamic nations, which form really a circle around modern-day Israel to conquer them, is uh, really uh, stopped by God. It's, it's, uh, the, the power of God literally comes down and destroys them. Now, these nations have gone to war against Israel on several occasions since 1948 when Israel became a nation, and each time they've been defeated, sometimes uh, devastatingly so. And one might really ask the question, why would they attempt yet once more to do it? Well, the, the spiritual answer is God says in Ezekiel that he's going to put a hook in their jaw and he's going to pull them into the conflict. Um, the political explanation, or maybe the religious explanation, is that um, there is desire by almost every uh, leader of a Muslim country to be the head of what's called the Muslim Caliphate. In other words, he would be the supreme ruler over all forms of Islam in the world. Now, there are predominantly two different forms of Islam in the world. There is Sunni Islam, which composes about 70% of Muslim believers, and they are the ones who are considered to be the mainline conservative believers. And then there's uh, uh, Shia Muslim, which is really characterized by uh, Iran, by the Hezbollah in, in Lebanon, and a few, other, <coughs> a few other places around the world, like Qatar and so forth. And so and they make up about 30% of Islam. And these two groups have been fighting with each other since the day that Muhammad died uh, over who should be the controlling influence. And they had basically two different individuals who felt that they should be or they were the heirs to Muhammad's uh, legacy and revolution. But um, <clears throat> basically what the we find is that in this battle they are terribly defeated. And I think that really becomes the thing that really leads to the beginning of the tribulation, the rise of the influence of the Antichrist, uh, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, uh, bringing about really, I think, the rebuilding of the temple, the third temple, which is the one in which the Antichrist will betray the Jews and he will insert place his image in the Holy of Holies and declare that he and Satan are representative of the true God with apparently the beast or the uh, false prophet being like the Holy Spirit. So they become the evil trinity and command that everybody worship them. And part of the sign that they're worshiping Satan and the beast is that they will receive a mark in their forehand or in their hand or in their forehead and they cannot buy or sell without that mark. 
that happens, I believe, right at the central, the middle point of the tribulation period, along with other, a number of other things. Uh, Daniel referred to it, and Jesus quoted him as saying, it's the abomination of desolation. It's the abominable action which will lead to the desolation that comes. And that desolation is the last half of the tribulation where the seven last plagues are poured out upon the world, and they leave the world desolate. And the only thing that redeems the earth is that Christ comes back at the end of tribulation and sets up his kingdom where he reigns for a thousand years. I mean, it's it's a fairly involved scenario, but I think it's, it's something that is uh, fairly obvious and laid out in scripture. Um, and so uh, I'd like to share that to give some kind of context to what we're talking about. But going back to what I wanted to really focus on, and I've really uh, entitled this message or this podcast, What, what About Turkey? Because uh, when we talk about the, the Battle of Gog and Magog, uh, a particular emphasis has been placed upon Iran. Uh, for many years, it was viewed as the Soviet Union joining with the Middle Eastern countries. And uh, geopolitically, at the time, that made a lot of sense. Uh, less sense now, but not completely senseless, I would say, because the chief supplier of armaments to many of these uh, antagonistic enemies of Israel today are the Soviet, are the Russian government, which, as we find, is, is involved with Syria and Iran and other uh, bad actors in the Middle East and around the world. But basically, uh, Russia's motivation, I think, is just to be a counterpoint to the United States and uh, to really create as many problems and headaches for us as they possibly can and to develop their own hegemony over these countries to get them dependent upon them. In the end of the day, we have all these little... Uh, little uh, Hitlers, these little uh, Napoleons who want to put themselves in the place of world leadership. I think that's a very di uh, diabolical and very demonic motivation that comes right out of the pit of hell, but is also a historically very common one. Well, getting back to my conversation, is emphasis is always upon Iran, but we tend to overlook Turkey because historically, at least for the last century or so, Turkey has not been antagonistic to Israel. And for, in fact, for a very long time, they were very friendly with the Jewish nation and uh, wouldn't be considered to be part of the Middle East at all. In fact, what we need to realize is Iranians and Turks are not Arabs. And that's part of the antipathy they feel towards the Arabs in general. But nonetheless, they are Muslims. That's why I call it the, the death of Islam or the, the Muslim crusade. Um, but one of the things that Ezekiel says in identifying who these combatants are going to be, he, he identifies Gog, which refers to a, it's a term that means uh, a mountain, or we might say the, the biggest guy, the chief leader, if you will. Uh, he rules over Magog, Meshach, and Tubal. And, he's, and he talks about also the land of Magog. And it identifies him again as the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And, and this is where we get the idea that uh, Russia is one of the antagonists because uh, the word prince in Hebrew is Rosh. And people said Rosh, Russia. They thought there was a, a parallel there. I, I'm not saying that uh, certain Russian republics or Russia itself couldn't be involved. That's certainly not precluded by anything we see in the scriptures. But the real primary uh, forces in this attack on Israel are going to be Iran. But more importantly, it's going to be led by Turkey not by Iran, according to the scriptures. Now, the reason that, that that's significant is Magog, Meshach, and Tubal today 
are regions that in ancient times were part of the traditional borders of regions of modern-day Turkey. So these are basically Turkish people, places like Turkmenistan or the Kurdish regions. <coughs> These were all part of Turkey's realm of influence. And before World War I, uh, Turkey was known as the Ottoman Empire, and they governed the entire Middle East and, and much of the southern parts of, of Russia as well. But it was World War I where they essentially made the mistake of picking the wrong side. They, they joined with uh, Germany and Austria and Hungary against the uh, Western Europe and the United States. Uh, when when the Germany and, and Austria and Prussia, when they lost the war, so did Turkey. And as a result, uh, Turkey was trimmed back. They lost many of their territories. And uh, in fact, after World War II, many of the areas that they had once been influential were taken over by the Soviet Union. Um, but basically, um, they had become uh, reduced. They lost their control over the Middle East, over Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem and, and Israel itself was given to the country of Jordan, which was created by the Brits. Uh, the history is quite convoluted and complex and hard to follow if you haven't spent some time studying it, so I'll try to keep it simple. But essentially, after World War I, the Turkey became aligned with the West, with Europe in particular, and also the United States. In fact, one of our key allies against the Soviets was the nation of Turkey, and even to this day, we have a, a major uh, um, Air Force Base there, as well as we used to have a lot of missile emplacements uh, there. But the whole point was that we have a major military base called Inserlik that's in Turkey today that uh, may not last forever because the Turks have increasingly uh, put restrictions on what we can and can't do with that air base. But you see, all this time uh, since World War I ended up until about 2000, uh, Turkey was pretty much aligned with the West. They wanted to become part of NATO. They wanted to become part of the European alliance. Uh, they wanted to become a part of the European Union, in fact, uh, because they're in many ways part of Europe more than they are part of the Middle East. Um, and this became especially true with the collapse of the Soviet Union. But that's when also they ended up having a shift in leadership. In the same time that we began to find that there was a turning again back to traditional views of Islamic faith amongst both Sunnis and Shia Muslims, we find that they elected a prime minister by the name of Recep Erdogan. And Erdogan later on in 2014 became the president. And he's become a very powerful and singular ruler. He essentially uh, does not allow for anybody else. Well, let's be honest, he's, he's like Putin is in Russia. He's a, he's a dictator with absolute control. But what we also have to keep in mind is that he's not a man without ideals. He's a Sunni Muslim, and he's a very devout Sunni Muslim. He is part of what's called the Muslim Brotherhood, which uh, are the ones who killed Sadat in Egypt and ran the country for a while after Barack Obama created so much chaos in Egypt. And then also the the Hamas, that is uh, the tormenting Israel in the Palestinian regions, they are also part of the Muslim Brotherhood, as well as Fatah and other groups like that. And so, as a Sunni Muslim, he really is committed to uh, not only rebuilding the Ottoman Empire, which he feels is part of his destiny, to have the Turkish Empire again control all of the Holy Lands, and, and particularly the three most holy sites of Islam, which is Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia today, and Medina, which is also in Saudi Arabia, but also Jerusalem.
And uh, over the last decade, he has begun moving more and more away from the East, kind of rejecting uh, the idea of being, even though they're part of NATO, he's rejected really part of being uh, part of the European Union, and as well as uh, become really uh, uncooperative with NATO. In fact, he has started buying uh, Russian armaments uh, in contradiction or in violation of really the rules of being part of uh, NATO. And but underlying all this, he has this real goal to be uh, become the the head of Islam uh, internationally, the head of the caliphate, and really. If he controls all of the the major religious sites, he has a pretty strong claim to that role. And it may be that he, in fact, is the Gog, the large leader, the, the prince or the Rosh, who is the one who really uh, coordinates this effort to invade Israel. Um, most recently, he, he's done a couple of things that have really uh, raised a lot of concern. That, first of all, he rededicated the Hagia Sophia uh, as a mosque. Now, the Hagia Sophia was built in, in 537, 1500 years ago. It was built by one of the Byzantine emperors uh, to be a church. It was the grandest, most magnificent church. In a way, what he was doing is trying to outdo St. Peter's in Rome. And it, it is an incredible building. I mean, it's just, it's staggering for its architecture and its beauty. It's one of the most beautiful buildings in the entire world. And for many centuries, maybe for a millennia, it was the largest uh, domed building in the entire world. So it's quite impressive. In 1453, though, we find that the city of Constantinople, the head of the, uh, the capital of the Byzantine Empire, fell to the Ottoman Turks, and it was dedicated as a mosque, and it continued to be a mosque until 1934. Why 1934? Well, after World War II, uh, the religious leaders, basically the the uh, caliphs who had, had, had run the, uh, uh, the, per, the uh, Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire, were deposed, and they had a democratic duly elected uh, a leader called Ataturk, and he was a secularist. He wasn't a religious man, and he began to make Turkey into a secularist nation. Well, uh, that's pretty much been the way it was, uh, and, and in 1934, he decided to really kind of change uh, the Hagia Sophia from being a mosque into what he called a um, architectural monument of art. And so it's been something that's been open to tourists for a long time. You could walk into it and, and visit it. But Erdogan rededicated it this year. He just rededicated the Hagia Sophia as a mosque. And that was a statement basically saying that uh, the, the fundamentalist Islamic movement is alive and well and driving the agenda. Part of his, his reasoning for that is that even though the country is suffering economically and, and has done terribly under COVID and, and generally has not done well under his leadership, uh, you always do like what the PLO or the Hamas does, is you just start focusing upon the religious goals and to get people to ignore the, the, the physical hardships that they're facing in their country. But we find that not only did he do this uh, in this year, rededicating the Hagia Sophia as a mosque, but most recently also, after the United States recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital, announced that Jerusalem, he said, is ours. 
And that really has concerned a lot of people because essentially saying uh, it's ours, it's, it's been taken from us illegally, and we're going to work to take it back. And so increasingly he's become uh, really uh, abrasive towards Israel and anti uh, antagonistic towards them, uh, so much so that many Israelis now who used to travel there frequently will not travel to Turkey because they're not sure it's safe. There's been such a rise in fundamentalist Islam and the violence that often goes with that in the country. So, as I said in the beginning, understandably our focus for a long time has been upon Iran, but uh, and they really are a threat. I'm not undermining that at all. But we need to remember that when we're thinking about the end times and looking for those events that are leading us towards Gog and Magog, we should pay more attention to what's going on in Turkey, because I find most Christians really don't understand this and miss the point completely. Uh, they are the leaders. The, the Turks are the leaders of this end-time Muslim coalition who's joined by Iran and some other countries in their invasion of Israel, uh, which will lead us into the Great Tribulation, I believe. So there's some things to uh, get your minds uh, um, circulating, I guess, stimulate your thoughts. Um, and uh, hopefully keep you excited about the times in which we're living in. Uh, even though we're living in times that are really unfortunate and are very sad for us as Americans, we also under have to understand that God is on the throne and he is in control and he's putting a hook in the jaw of mankind and he's drawing them to where he wants them to be. And we may be simply just part of that current that God is drawing. We're kind of caught up in the backwaters of what's going on. And it's hard for us to think that because we as Americans tend to think of us as being the center of everything that's going on, especially of God's will and purpose in the last days. We're certainly central in his heart as believers, but as a nation, we're just another nation, which in many ways is, is proving itself unworthy of the grace that God has bestowed upon us. Lots of stuff to pray for, but keep your eye on Turkey when you're watching the news. Uh, I think it's really being overlooked uh, way too much. God bless you and go in his grace.